Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is your generally weekly, most of the time, uh, assault on the news cycle, the people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. I am Camille Foster. I do various things at a place called Freethink. This is your October 12th dispatch 2017, and I am joined here in the Manhattan studio, which is it's wonderful. There's an array of beverages on the table. I have my my gummy bears. Um, they have their beers. What's and up by with they, gummy bears? I'll I'll talk about my candy um, addiction um, on another time. But wow. that is wow. Matt Ar- Welch already like uh, editor at large, Reason Magazine. I'm just trying to just trying to introduce you guys. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. Michael Moynihan, mm-hmm. who does various things at HBO on this thing called Vice News Tonight, and I guess he's actually at Vice News, but the yeah. show is on HBO. It is, and he is a national correspondent for the That's show. So and this the week, I've said a, sorry. but in our hearts, we know it's the you know, gentleman. How the hell are you? Um. Oh, Jesus Christ. That good. I know it's good. Good. I yeah. didn't mean to take the Lord's name in vain. I'm not That's good. Or anything, but yeah, you know, if no, it won't I'm be sorry. the, it won't be the last horrible I'm thing sorry. you say today. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of horrible stuff coming yeah. out tonight. Um, I'm good. I'm good. Um, you know, I was, I was, um, I had a good day at work and I uh, looked at some lists I was like the Oscar Schindler of uh, the block that I was in. A lot of lists going on here. So and I, I don't want to steal Moynihan's thunder here. I got no thunder. <laughs> I got no thunder. But so I, I found out yeah. like, like three three hours ago, four hours yeah. ago, a BuzzFeed comes out with a story really weirdly worded. Yeah. Like there is a list being passed around among females who work in media. Yeah. It's called, what's it called? Uh, Fisher, uh, shitty media men, shitty media men. The title was actually "What to Do with Shitty." That was the BuzzFeed story, but the actual list is shitty. It's just shitty. It's like an and 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 Moynihan uh, cut in mm -hmm. where it's appropriate. But from what I understand, this is a open sourced Excel sheet, Excel spreadsheet, Excel spreadsheet that (laughs) women can get in. What? No, you just sound like my grandfather. Go ahead, Excel. (laughs) It's an Excel sheet. Yeah, Uh and. And you have it on your computer. No, I don't. Oh. No, right. I saw it. I saw it today. Okay. I saw it today. Um, and um, it, 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 there's a headline, actually, I saw in the Washington Post. How BuzzFeed helped turn a secret list of potential abusers in media into a burn book. Now, uh, the first thing about this is that there's a, a, a group on Facebook for, like, foreign correspondents. And it has, like, a lot of people in it. Like, a lot of people. And sometimes things get leaked and they turn into media stories because there's media people and they're talking shit about things. And there's always a person that runs the list, always jumps in and says, guys, this is a private list. It's like a private list of like 20,000 people or whatever it is. On the Internet, nothing is private. So when you say this Washington Post headline turned a secret list, of it's not a secret. Everyone knew about it really quickly. And this is a, a, an open link. If you had the link, you could look at it. And you could modify it. You could actually put people on this list anonymously and tell, like, denounce people. And it's this very Orwellian thing that the charge is all that really matters. And I saw the list and, you know, scrolled down. I'm like, oh, God, I'm not. Thank 
God. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do anything. I'm what too boring for that. What are the categories? Uh, are there, there are no broad? categories. Okay. It's just a list of people, where they work, and then another field of but it's what like, their it's offenses. Like some one of them are, is like a jack off in a ficus plant in a restaurant in front yeah, of somebody. Who, but like, which what, is a reference, by the way, to to – Harvey Harvey Weinstein, who jacked up, apparently, according to apparent, I don't say apparently because it's actually it was the accusation was a friend of mine. <laughs> yeah, is Lauren Savon, who let me just I'll finish that. Lauren Savon, who um, is a is a, an old friend of mine, and I love Lauren, and she is. We should have her on the show. She's one of the funniest people I know. And Lauren, I t- <laughs> I don't think Lauren minds me telling you this. I texted her afterwards, and I was like, dude. You've shown me all the unsolicited dick pics that people send you, and she gets them. It's like people, men are gross. Wait, so, you, of, yeah. so you've seen a lot of media cock as well. Yeah, oh, no, not media. Just random people okay. that watch her show <laughs> and watch her on things. And then like, and then she's, they, she gets these things on like Facebook and the rest of it. Wow. And I said, you haven't <laughs> shown me, the, told me about this. And she was like, what? I, t- I, t- I didn't tell you? I've been dining out on the fridges. I've been telling this story for a long time. And Lauren, there is no way in hell that Lauren would ever make a story. Like I said, it's very, very detailed that uh, Harvey Weinstein like brought her into a basement of some restaurant and like tried to do this, that and the other. And at the time she was, and I think it actually kind of makes it important in the timeline of the uh, unfolding of these revelations of what a monstrous, just grotesque pig this guy uh, was. Um, I mean, this happened like 10 years ago, I think. Um, But in the timeline of the revelations of the story, the New York Times has its big story. There's kind of like a freak out pause. And the first, as far as I remember, uh, the first kind of follow up, oh, yeah, me too, came from her. And it's not just that it came from her. And that's significant on itself. She was a reporter. She was yeah. a Long Island like TV reporter. Was um, she at the Long Island at the time? I think yeah, so. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. and so because uh, I was on uh, uh, the Bill Schultz has a new show over on Compound Media, which I was uh, uh, fortunate to go on. It's great. And we love Bill. Uh, and I went out with Lauren, who was on the phone. And uh, it wasn't that she was working on a story about Harvey or anything like that. They just happened to be at the same restaurant at the same time. But he, she clearly identified herself as a reporter. So imagine the yeah. mindset of like, oh, yeah, sure. What you do, it's totally fine. I am uh, head of one of the more powerful studios in Hollywood. And I'm going to jack off in a potted plant in a basement restaurant, in the basement of a restaurant, in front of a reporter. And yeah. I'm not worried about anything. No. Right. Yeah. So that's a, I think it's a, it was, it was a, an important moment before all the yeah. 75,000 revelations that have since come out, including his fucking contract, which just came out uh, a couple hours before we started talking. The TMZ came up with that the incidents of indemnifying uh, him against <laughs> jerking off into potted plants. Sexual harassment was baked into his contract from yeah. 2015. If you, yeah. uh, if you're caught, the company's going to pay out. Uh, you know, uh, and but you have to uh, you have to reimburse us, okay? And we're gonna fine you like two fifty yeah. the first, and then like you know uh, five hundred the second, because you know, we really need to keep this uh, under uh, under wraps. It's uh, it's amazing, but you've got a list. Yeah, you saw the list. I did. So is Camille on the list? Yeah, <laughs> actually, the, the version that I saw just had Camille on it. Yeah, uh, what was the crime? It was just basically pictures of his balls. Yeah, like yeah. various ones from different times. Yeah. It was like it was like a time lapse from like one of those Facebook things. They the put gray hairs for, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> over over ten years. There was one. There was one of it. There was one of it playing in the woods. There was one. It was very cute. There was one with like a little baseball uniform on. But oh, but no. um, I'm not going to deny any of but, that. But uh, no, I find it like really scary that these things circulate. And this and this 
um, you know, anyone can add to it. You can make any allegation you want. And it just that stain is going to stick to you. And I was looking at it and I found myself like other people saying like, oh, my God, that guy. And I'm like, wait, this is just a, anyone can add to this if they have yeah. the link. And is know, it alphabetical? I'm just asking. No, it wasn't. no, no, no. It oh, wasn't. that's that's not. But the Washington Post. You could this, sort it. Somebody it's wrote this thing. Okay. Uh, someone from the Post opinion section wrote this thing that I just saw right before we started the show. And I'm pretty I, I'm completely shocked by this. And the last thing, the last line in this piece that said uh, the list went down, but it's actually back up again. Uh, the list belongs to the women who created it, not BuzzFeed, who reported on it. But the corrosive culture that made it necessary is ripe for reporting. So you're not you create this list that anyone with a link to it has. We're media people. That's what we do. We spread this kind of information around. You're like, oh, my God. And everyone's like, you know, you know, gawking at it and saying, oh, gee, who's on it? Is this who's from our organizations on it, et cetera. And then, like, you're telling this this piece is like the list belongs to the women who created it, not to BuzzFeed. Don't report on it that this is actually out there. They didn't report anyone's names because that would be cause for a lawsuit, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's really thinly. So, I mean, some of the stuff you're like, oh, yeah, I guess that, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> But there's a lot of people on it. And I looked up some of the people and they had all been tweeting about uh, Harvey Weinstein and like, you know, saying this kind of culture is crazy. And then they're on this list that God knows who's accusing them. The details are really, really scant. And if you just don't like someone, you could put them on this list and effectively destroy their career or make them, you know, kind of this sort of air of suspicion around them. Always like, oh, that guy was on that list at one time. It's just really kind of poisonous that that exists. And I, I was like really appalled by it. And the number of people who were like, yeah, so what? There's a public list that anyone can add somebody's name to and anonymously accuse them of something and then send it out to everybody within the within the media community. It's such well, a it's such a it's like, oh, it's a private list. It's like nothing on the Internet that you make public with a public link. And, you know, when I asked a particular person out there who I don't work with and is not in my organization to send me the link. They said no, because you're not allowed to, to, to send it to any men. That was one of the, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that, I'm sure that rule has been, has been followed. I mean, I don't, I, men are I still... don't identify as any particular gender. So I said, yeah. send the fucking thing to me. <laughs> it didn't happen. It didn't work. <laughs> you know why it didn't work? Cause I was lying. I was like literally <laughs> lying about it, but I just find this kind of, it's like, you know, it, it, it's like this mob, this pitchfork mob after Harvey Weinstein. And like, look, I agree in the sense that there's a very particular reason why he got away with it for, for so long, because he was literally the most powerful man in Hollywood. And, you know, the bravery, quote unquote, of these people coming out now. Look, I don't want to you know diminish anyone's experience and I'm not. It's just a particular word bravery, because right now there's it's it's you can actually come out and say it actually proves something about him, not about them. I don't give them a hard time about this at all. I don't blame them. I completely understand. I mean, this guy was so damn powerful and you don't want to go up against him. And now these people are coming out of the woodwork because it looks like you know actually you know it's it's like when the dictator is overthrown and people kind of creep out onto the streets and look around at the rubble and they say oh well, we can speak freely now there's nothing you can't criticize people for that at all but it's i don't believe that right now it's it's an act of of, of bravery it's an act of relief you know and i don't criticize them that at all that's not what i'm saying it's a, the 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 difference between sort of uh the kind of quote-unquote open secret for 30 years, 20 years, however long people think yeah. that, that it's been going on. You know, there's the famous 30 Rock joke uh, from four years ago. There's the Seth MacFarlane Oscars thing. So you have this, I mean, reckless behavior, yeah. like 
uh, potted plants and journalists and I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow, if that story uh, is true, and I have no reason to believe that it's not. I mean, it's Gwyneth Paltrow. She was Hollywood royalty when she was born. Uh-huh. Uh, and she was <laughs> a boyfriend and girlfriend with Brad freaking Pitt. Yeah. Like, she had some power. If you're doing that kind of uh, stuff to people that powerful, that means there's a, there's just, you know, shockwaves of, of, of human beings who know about this. So you go from an open secret that no one even – uh, feels uh, brave enough to talk about it, except for one was she Argentine or, or a Portuguese uh, model uh, who uh, wore the wire and uh, yeah. in New York City. I think, I think she's Italian. Yeah, uh, yeah you know all the vowels, last names. Um, uh, Sorry, my my have low blood sugar. His heart's telling me that right now. It's, you know, it's okay. I was do we need to do like a do we need joke? to do anything? Yeah, no, no. Uh, and it's like not even a joke. No, it's, it's fine. Just give me one of those uh, golden a gummy bear. Gummy bear. Gummy bears. Oh, what is the deal with you and gummy bears? I just like I took a picture of you. Yeah. Uh, all of us in the elevator. Yeah, the, the yeah. three of you guys yeah. in the elevator. Fish. Mm-hmm. Um, people like this. It's a very good photograph. It right? is a good and photograph. Not. And like you're fucking. Uh, na- oh, I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to say fucking. I by, by the way. So, <laughs> so discursive. My uh, my mom is in town, mm-hmm. and she says hello mostly to you, Camille. Although oh. she she says really uh, complimentary things about how smart you are. Mm-hmm. I guess she just she doesn't like you, but no. she, she knows that you're smart. Mm. Oh, she's like most uh, listeners. So she wanted to be here <laughs> Thanks, uh, today, but uh, she uh, ran herself ragged in in, uh, in Ground Zero in the nine eleven museum and stuff. So she's uh, she's taken it out. But she uh, gave me this this cup that these guys can see. And a nice, a healthy kind of coffee teacup that has a series of creative ye old curses so that I don't have to just say fucking. Oh, uh, she's like every, mad that you're <laughs> Oh, well, she thinks it's funny that I'm always like, sorry, mom. And I start popping out yeah. F-bombs. So it's like uh, anointed sovereign of sighs and groans. Not nearly as good as go yeah, fuck that's yourself, not but particularly go ahead. Effective. Uh, yeah. Roast meat for worms. That's that's not bad. Yeah, I'd still I don't think like, so. go fuck yeah. yourself is better. Uh, highly fed and lowly taught. Not How did we get off not of Harvey Weinstein? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I, not I, important. Well, I, have, I have something related to this. Yeah. The most annoying, contrived media narrative uh, of the week was Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama haven't said anything about this yet. So Hillary Clinton last night spoke for 90 minutes at an event in California. She talked about the NFL her fluffle. She did not mention Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein has given something like $1.5 million to, to Democrats um, over the past decade plus. I don't think it's complicated for her to come out and condemn somebody who gave her political donations simply for that fact alone. So I, why is she not doing it? I, 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 I don't, I'm also not Hillary Clinton's press secretary. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, Barack Obama also. I, th- this is just unconscionable to me that people with huge megaphones... Even more important, because they did receive his donations and have been uh, patronized by him, do not come out and speak against this. Well, uh, isn't that the answer? Behavior. I mean, David, isn't that the answer? That you, you don't criticize people who you're close to? This is not even fake news, right? It's what? a situation where you're talking about something that did not happen, and you proceed to speculate about the motivations. And at some point in the conversation, very quickly, it moves from speculating about motivations to this is clearly the reason why she hasn't talked about it. And this is your serious news segment. 
and everyone is outraged. I mean, you named it is CNN, completely that was, unacceptable that, was that this is happening. Seventy percent of Fox's program totally true. last week. Totally true. And, and this is it's not like democratic unique. hypocrisy in Hollywood yeah. and, and Hillary. Clinton. Yeah. And this is not unique to Hillary Clinton and this particular story. This is the kind of manufactured narrative that you will find all the time all over the place. And it it's very odd. I mean, we, we have a bunch of important stories this week. We've got the the various feuds that are going on with the Trump administration and people who are supposed to be his allies, fellow Republicans, and in some cases, people who work for the administration. There's the president constantly saying things that suggest he doesn't really give a shit about the free press and thinks we probably ought to do something uh, about media outlets who dare to be critical of him. Um, And many journalists are appropriately outraged when the president suggests stripping the license from NBC for whatever offense he claims uh, they've they've made. But I don't know that you make things easier for yourselves when, in fact, there are various times where you do produce segments that this isn't news. I don't know if fake news is the right phrase. I suspect it's not. And at this point, it's overused and probably calls the wrong things to mind. Um, But that doesn't help much. Neither does hysterical coverage of of various other things, which we've talked about a bunch. There's a uh, um, there's this weird kind of um, reaction policing that happens um, where people are sitting around on Twitter as we speak, just busting President Trump's balls. He deserves all of it on, on some level, but like because he hasn't said anything in public about the California wildfires. Right. And it's like he, he loves fire. You, he's, he's a pyromaniac. That's we why. Don't, I mean, what <laughs> what is there an itch that is not being scratched because he hasn't done this? Yes. He said a thousand really stupid things in the meantime. Mm-hmm. And that's irritating. Yes. That's what really you're irritated by. Like it, there isn't a a, a, a a wound that is going to be salved by him saying, God, you know, that's really bad what's happening in Santa Rosa right now. My heart goes out to you people, especially the first responders. High five America. Like that's not going <laughs> to fix it. And we've seen this in so many other moments. Like when is he going to come out and denounce these people? When is he going to do this? Um, we well, see that, by the way, the, the Weinstein stuff is like uh, everybody in Hollywood has to have chimed in. If they haven't, the silence of somebody who once worked with Harvey Weinstein is that, you know, it's deafening. Why is somebody, why has, you know, Brad Pitt not chimed in? Why is so-and-so not chimed in? Why is Ben Affleck not chimed in? When he does chime in, somebody finds an old clip of him on MTV. Like, TRL. Yeah. Grabbing a, I mean, it, I didn't even see it. it he, seemed, he kind of, he kind of gropes some, some chick's boob. Yeah, I, Case, I didn't. Casey's I didn't, got I, some, I, I didn't. Wandering hands. Yeah, look, I didn't see this stuff, but. You know, asshole cover up. No, it's very, it's very frustrating in the sense that you actually have to. Everyone has to come out and denounce, or then they themselves are somehow complicit. And it's like it's 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 this mob mentality that the internet kind of helps create. Whether it's this list or what, you know, I think that even that that's even the case with you know, Fox's coverage and a lot of conservative response to you know Hillary Clinton is tied to him. It's like, look. What you're asking people to do at that point, Hillary Clinton is not in Hollywood. Had she heard these tales? I have no idea. But if you do hear these things, what you're asking of people is to presume that they're true. Uh It's the job of the media, and we should give the media a hard time for not reporting this story in 2004 when apparently it was brought to the New York Times, but the Times says they didn't have it nailed. 
also a possibility, right? Totally possible. Totally possible. I mean, the times is very, very high in rigorous standards for these things. These things take like, you know, nine, 10 months and sometimes a year to report out a single story. The same thing is true of the, the New Yorker story. Very, very well done by Ronan Farrow. He did a great job did with great that story. Job. And what you're asking is like, you guys, Hillary Clinton was complicit by hanging out with Harvey Weinstein. Sarah. I, I, really? Honestly, do we think that of all the things we can ding her for? I think the, I pers- the person that I really want to hear that from is Tucker Carlson while like he's interviewing Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I mean, the other end of this is now it's, it's now it's swinging back the other way. Steve Bannon had a company that that Miramax or Harvey Weinstein's company purchased or made an investment in. I think it's pretty hard in Hollywood if you're a player and remember that's what Bannon used to do and he makes a lot of money off of Seinfeld. I don't I don't sort of blame Larry David for whatever, you know, Steve Bannon does. It's a very weird maybe, maybe we should. Very weird and tenuous connection. We can talk about the new season of Curb, which is amazing so far. Um, but, you know, I think it's this all we're trying to is always trying to trap people. Yeah, yeah. And say, you're responsible. You're part of this. And, it, you know, it's back to the well, sort of John Ronson's book that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Is that this moving mob that goes from one sort of scandal to another trying to, you know, and it's this hungry maw that is trying to eat up as many people as possible and spit out their bones. And we say, yay, we virtue signal and we go to the next person. And you see this list. I see a number of people on that list who have been on the front lines of, you know, accusing people and, you know, part of this, these sorts of mobs in the past. And I wonder if maybe they'll give them pause and they say, hey, that's not me. I didn't do that shit. I was I'm not responsible for that. that, that, That's a rumor. And also the presumption of this list, by the way, I noticed with people who I talked to about it, they presume that everybody was adding an entry to this was adding it firsthand. That's an easy presumption to make. Mm -hmm. Say, oh, this person has just been accused of it. Those could be rumors that people have heard. I've heard rumors about people for years in different contexts and, you know, different people. Eric Bowling. Uh, well, that one I saw a little closer up. But, but you know, I, I, you know, I heard rumors about things and I'm like, look, I don't want to trade in rumor. I don't know if this is real. I don't know who's making the claim. And I don't want to default to just thinking it is correct because somebody made it. Most of the time, I don't know who it is. You get it second or third hand. The same thing is true with Harvey Weinstein is that a lot of the people got this second. They heard this. It was kind of a reputation he had, but you don't know. And so do you want to look, if you're Hillary Clinton, do you want to say like, I'm not going to associate myself with this because when I was at a party one time, somebody told me this rumor, a couple of people told me this rumor. We don't know what she heard. She's in the world of politics, not in the world of media. Maybe she did. I don't know. Let's presume yeah. that she did. Well, I think she is in the world of media. Well, there's, she is. There's, That's there's true. a world That's true. of That's media true. and politics. But yeah, that, it's an overlap. That, yeah. that, that kind of like gets me to a, to a point that I think is also true, which is that everybody wants to get this into the stupid basic American political fight. So in the same way that people wanted to assert that the Roger Ailes and Eric Bowling and Bill O'Reilly uh, scandals, even Charles Payne, if you throw him in there, um, uh, said something fundamental about the nature of the modern right wing. Mm-hmm. Um, now they're doing Republicans are like so happy that they can say the same thing about the Democratic media uh, industrial complex. When take a step back and just imagine to yourself, like work yourself through where is this going to happen? Right. My here's my my theory. And you guys are, uh, uh, you know, either shoot holes in it or or modify it and add to it. So you need an industry based on human relationships uh, where there's a dangle of fame and, and serious money at the top of the pyramid. Mm-hmm. There's a great place to get to. Right. Um, so you have these kind of things. Um 
there's going to be creepy old dudes who are going to be gatekeeping on that kind of stuff. And they're going to uh, be wielding their power to protect what kind of pervy power mad assholes they are. Sure. And so that to me is going to be Hollywood first and foremost, because it depends so much on 22 year old actresses, but also the modeling industry, but also New York and and uh, television news in particular, because the top of that food chain is really high and rich. And you also need to be young and attractive. At least Camille does. Um, <laughs> and you also have politics, different kind of level of the importance of attractiveness. But so many ambitious people, they want to get at the top of the food chain. You hear all these types of sex scandals exactly in these industries. And some are going to be leftoid and some are going to be rightoid. Maybe sure. Wall Street. I don't really know. There's an I, I tweeted something to this effect and, and uh, people were making the argument that you could say that academia is there, even though they don't have like the the huge fame and money on the top there. But you have weirdo power relationships. But it's not going to be it. It doesn't say anything essential about the nature of people's political ideology at all. It Although says, it's, it's nice to pretend that they do. I mean, guilt, just, guilt by association is, is easy to deploy. It's and not it's, nice. It's not nice. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's it, one of the well, things. It's, it's nice for the person who yeah, is yeah, doing no, the, the casting aspersions. What, what, it's, it's one nice. of the things that I've seen so frequently, which is kind of annoying me, and I probably shouldn't say anything about it because – You'll just get mauled for doing it. And of course, everyone mistakes what you're saying for something different of like, I don't have any, any desire to protect or make an argument on behalf of a president that I loathe. I just, I just don't want to. <laughs> but I've seen this constant Twitter stream of, of comments that, oh God, you know, Harvey Weinstein, but you still, Harvey Weinstein, but we still got one in the White House. You know, the same thing. It's like, dude, these are no. different levels of charges. What he said in that tape, I think we've probably gone over on the show a bunch in the past, and everyone thought that was going to be the death of his uh, of his campaign. And it's pretty gross stuff. But you know, people say he admits to sexual assault. He does not actually admit to sexual assault. Well, there, there are says, some women who have come forward now, and said here's they the groped him. Yeah. Okay, so this is the difference. Um, we have women who have come forward and said that he groped them. There's been no child uh, charges filed. I mean, this is a kind of a different. Level. I mean, look, just not I, to say it's I, not I, to I say it's untrue. Out. It's, it's just it's no not, settlements that we know of. Not no settlements we know of. It's yeah. not to say that it's un, that, that it's untrue. I'm not saying that at all. But you know, when if I were to come out in a Roger Stone kind of way and say Bill Clinton is a rapist, Bill Clinton has sexually assaulted X number of women. A number of them have actually come forward. I don't know, and I don't know if it's true in the Trump case. It's a very different thing with Har Harvey Weinstein, who has actually been kicked out of his own company. There is police investigations in the, in the United States and in the UK, apparently now. He's the Merseyside police are actually looking into it. We have admitted to misdeeds. Yeah, we have, <laughs> We have. you know, the NYPD made it, asked the woman to wear a wire after she came and made a, a complaint to the, a contemporaneous complaint to the police. They're different things. Sorry, but they are. And like, I see this political point scoring is that this week, in, like every other week with this, this, this rotten administration, we have enough to go on that let's like, hey, let's let's throw all of the scandal of the Harvey Weinstein into our, our current political climate and try to bring everything into this one story. I don't think that's advisable right now. And especially when you have a president this week who says that, you know, stupidly says that, you know, we should uh, pull the license from N NBC. He's talking about MSNBC, which is a cable channel and is not governed by FCC licenses. But, you know, we should attack um, will he do it? No, but it is a Chavista thing. I said this on Twitter, which is exactly what Hugo Chavez did in, in 2007 when RCTV, the opposition 
network who had been hammering him for so long was taken off air. And they were taken off air because, you know, when, when I would say this at the time, say, like they don't believe in the free press in Venezuela and they've taken off this opposition network for uh, political reasons. And the Chavistas will come back with the same thing. It's like they just no, they just didn't renew their license because they didn't have you know the proper paperwork, et cetera. The story and, here in Russia. The story lot. here in Russia is you use the kind of sort of fig leaf of legality, talking about licensing and the rest of it, to take an opposition bit of you know of a media off the air. The fact that Trump will never do this doesn't matter to me. The fact that public president of the United States is using sort of the language of Chavismo and to say that we will take away your license because you are reporting things that are fake. And this is fake news, by the way. I see people spreading this list in media and it's get this, this, you know, horrible men, abusers, whatever. Even as we're talking, that's kind of fake news too, because it's not been verified by anyone. If you're mm -hmm. spreading stuff that hasn't been verified and that you actually haven't looked into and it's in the hands of all these people and people are, you know, trading it, you're trading in, in, in rumor innuendo that's going to ruin people's lives. I think that's about to qualify as fake news too, because it's getting out there and you can't contain these things. But back to the Trump thing is that, look, don't wrap all these stories into one. Let's focus on what this scumbag is doing right now. And I, I say that word, I use that word advisedly because that today, this, this week I thought was a little too much. You know, I mean, if you're out there saying that media outlets, do I think he's going to do it? Do I believe that we are on this precipice of fascism? I do not. But do, is it disconcerting that the president of the United States is saying, I will use the levers of government power to, <laughs> to, to attack a media organization who I believe is reporting fake news? As far as I can tell, he didn't identify anything in particular. It's just things he didn't like. So we talked a bit about the, the Weinstein situation. Last week, there was the Rex Tillerson Donald Trump feud, which I don't think we talked about here on the podcast. Um, there was this massive story in the New York Times um, talking about the fact that Rex might have exited the White House because he was so despondent about this administration, even referring to the president. I believe he called him an idiot or moron. it's at least alleged that he called him a moron. Not Something a moron. He, um, Did he actually end up denying it? Because he initially he, didn't. Let me tell you what I've learned about this president, whom I did not know before taking this office. He loves his country. He puts Americans and America first. He's smart. He demands results wherever he goes, and he holds those around him accountable for whether they've done the job he's asked them to do. Forget the president challenged him to an IQ test. He did. Yeah. Which which it, just, they claim it's like, a joke, this, but like, who knows? Needle, like, what? Needle scratch across the record. Yeah. We live in a country <laughs> where the fucking president. Sorry, let's worse the cup here. Uh, Thou art a boil, a plague sore of a president. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Challenged his own secretary of state <laughs> to an yeah. IQ contest. Is there anybody in the world? Anyone. Name yeah. one person in the world who is laser focused on how high their own IQ is, who isn't. It was it was a, a fucking there, shit. But it was but the it was, only <laughs> other person I can imagine doing this who is not even I would just say probably in government at all, but actually the head of uh, head of state is Rodrigo Duterte in the Philippines. <laughs> this is very Duterte-like. I mean, but, I can imagine him like throwing people out of helicopters and saying, I challenge you to an IQ test. I, I mean, it's, it's madness. It's, it's, like, very, it's, like the 13th, it's like the 13th century. It's unbelievable. It's likely that, that in some respect he's being sarcastic. Maybe not. I don't know. But this isn't all. He is not only having a spat 
with his secretary of state who may or may not stick around. Someone who many people were deeply concerned about when he first got there because he was going to be too friendly with Putin or he was a big gas man. Now there's some of them who are, are shaking in their boots at the prospect that he might leave. Who will who will reign in the president? But why are they concerned? They're concerned because of the same thing that a sitting senator from Tennessee, a gentleman by the name of Bob Corker, that I'm pronouncing that correctly, yeah. I mean, it's just this the look you gave he's me. He's actually Albanian um, and it's Shakar. <laughs> <laughs> and the first name is Hyaba, but <laughs> which is Albanian for I want to choke that Greek motherfucker <laughs> yeah, out of the beach. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but this is a this is an odd story because it's not as though these two men don't have some history. They do. Going back to the to the campaign, perhaps before that, but initially unwilling to support the president or endorse him, warms to the president the way so many uh, Republicans, conservatives did. He's your guy. He's going to be your guy. Um, admits to being friends still in the New York Times story that came out, um, says that he doesn't regret it. Um, but what he said in the Times story builds on some recent criticisms from him. Um, and in the Times story, he says that this president is so reckless that he threatens us with the possibility of World War Three, that he is deeply concerned because of that. Um, and and it's one of those things where it's not clear if the if the level of concern uh, and anxiety amongst people who are really upset about Donald Trump, that are really upset about his use of Twitter um, and his uh, willingness to say just about anything, the saber rattling at North Korea, the situation with um the Iran nuclear deal, which there are threats that he may, in fact, pull out of, which we should talk about specifically. Um, but a general sensibility that he is unfit to hold this office and allegation comes from someone who is within his own party. The sensibility is that this carries some weight and has a unique kind of credibility. Um, I wonder I wonder if the two of you feel the same and. Matt, I mean, I'm I'm asking the question, but I know that you wrote a really, I thought, piece. Phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. phenomenal is is a good word for it. Um, I wonder if you could kind of encapsulate some of what you uh, described in the piece with respect uh, to that. I'd be actually interested to hear uh, from Moynihan, uh, just because Moynihan did that documentary with Richard Haas, mm -hmm. who's associated with kind of uh, old school realism, right? Because Corker is not a neocon. Um, Corker uh, defines himself as a realist when he uh -huh. when he was playing footsie with Donald Trump and actually uh, twisting arms in the Senate saying, no, he's good. Stop telling me that he's not good uh, back in April and May of 2016 after Trump gave his big America first speech. Uh, his comment was, oh, you know, I hear a lot of echoes of James Baker there. James Baker is like the last living totem of the uh, foreign policy school of realism. Uh, and, uh, and 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 uh, and Corker was saying things like, hey, look. A lot of the interventionists around here, they've gotten a lot of things wrong in the last 15 or 16 years, which I agree with him about. Mm -hmm. um, James Baker, unhelpfully, like a month later, says Trump's a nightmare person. <laughs> Don't ever associate me with him again. So that kind of under undercut uh, the, uh, the the Corker vision. So Corker is is. I, mean, I don't think there are really any realists left in practically speaking in official Washington, at least hold elected office. Um, but he saw that hope in him that you see, that you see um, uh, sort of less interventionist people invest in Trump. But the uh, the people who have been arguing about Trump's unfitness for a long time 
uh, I think, uh, were right. And Corker, I think, is right now uh, in that narrow and particular sense. Um, uh, Quick story. uh, Ten days ago or so, I was in the Fox green room with John Bolton, who the three of us know and our listeners are are vomiting already just thinking about it um, is really, really interesting and fun to talk to both on and off air constantly whenever we see each other, uh, you know, uh, passing and, and Camille and I. Wait, and who I, is this again? John Bolton. Yeah. Okay. Me, yeah. You, yeah, you like old walrus face. Yeah. Old walrus yeah. Face. I, don't, I don't I don't feel that way. Uh-huh. I, I have only um, my contempt for him is genuine and real. OK, um, yeah. th- that that's fine. But we always but, we always catch up. But yeah, there's some cordialness. Not, that but it's not yeah. just like, hey, how's your family? Do I don't give a uh-huh. shit about his family? I yeah. assume he doesn't have one. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, I asked him because he has semi ear of the president, although not as much as he would want to, mm-hmm. to give an assessment just, hey, dude, who's in charge, right? Because obviously Bolton's been trying to be someone who's kind of in charge here. Um, and uh, and his assessment here, and I'm not talking out of school here, I'm sure he says the same thing uh, live in front of other people, is that it, the reality is, and I think this Corker is referring to this, John McCain is referring to this, Mike Lee and other people who are less interventionist, also Ben Sass, you know, people, uh, own team people in the Senate who think, my God, there's an un- there's an unfitness problem. They are referring precisely to this, which is that it's not clear who is running American foreign policy. Rex Tillerson just is sort of like a, a lost man. He's been, in, you know, he's. 41 years at Exxon, yeah. and now he's running the State Department. But you know what is funny is someone said to me the other day, and I've been talking to a lot of Republicans for this project that I'm – this long-term project I'm doing, this sort of you know bigger film that uh, I'm doing. And, and um, I had said something <laughs> about uh, Tillerson when he came out. And after the moron comment or the supposed moron comment that he's going to come out and, 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 and make a statement. And there was, oh, my God, is he going to resign? Is he going to resign? And – I said, I hope so. You know, it's Rex Tillerson. I mean, this is not a guy that I want running the State Department. You know, there's been reports of his his, uh, you know, exceptional lassitude when it comes to knowing about subjects and like not being particularly good. And a Republican that I was talking to um, in D.C. said, no, you don't want that. You don't want him stepping down. Because the options that, that uh, to replace him are so much more terrifying. And I think that that's effectively true. And when I and, and you know, I, I think that Corker's right on almost every on every level. I, I agree with him. Um, but, you know, what what no one's really talking about, because most people won't talk about it. I mean, you can get, you know, Weigel, who we've had on the show or Bob Costa from The Washington Post or Maggie Haberman or Michael Barbaro and these great reporters who have been doing great work and have great sources within the administration, within within Republican Party circles, is that we not we're not getting a lot about this internecine battle. I mean, the the problem right now for Republicans is they are a lot of these guys are up for reelection. And they're, you know, looking in these states like Ben Sass is a great example. You know, Nebraska is a state that, 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 you know, has been fairly positive to Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. But he's going out there, you know, really throwing his punches and saying, I don't care at this point. Including about uh, the First Amendment. Uh, First Amendment know, stuff. Yeah. And like, I mean, time. I think he's been very principled on this stuff. And, you know, some Trump supporters have actually been very principled on this stuff, too, whether you like them or not. As Ann Coulter is, you know, you know, said if he doesn't do XZ and he she was on Ben Dominich's uh, podcast the other day talking about this. Then if he does if he doesn't build the wall, I don't want anything to do with him. I mean, there are some people that were trying to work with him. I don't think that if you look at what Corker says in April or what he says in May, 
They want this guy to be somebody who will they could puppeteer, right? They could Geppetto this guy, and now right. they're realizing they can't do that, that he's a loose cannon, there's That's something off point. about him. And now I don't think it's hypocrisy at all. You know, I think it's you know, the old the old joke that it's often or the old, you know, line that's often attributed to John Maynard Keynes, uh, but actually wasn't a, a, a Keynes line. I think it was a, a what's his name? Paul Samuelson who said it about, you know, hypocrisy. And it's, you know, when, when the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do, sir? And I think that the facts have changed that like, let's hold out some hope that this Republican can't, we can guide him because he's erratic. But when he sees how Washington works, we can actually work with him. That turns out not to be true. And every Republican I've talked to has basically said, we are very quietly planning our sort of insurrection here and few more and more of them are coming out and being more public about it. I mean, there was a, there was a, a, a story and I might even brought it up last week, but it like it, it, it failed to generate a big bounce, but there's like suicide pact reportedly among administration officials between, I think Tillerson, maybe uh Manu- Kin, chin, whatever the fuck. Chin, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and some other dude, uh, uh, like, okay, if one of us resigns, we're all going to resign. I mean, people are literally talking like that. And what, part of the, what, one of the reasons that uh, Corker's comments stung. You say oh, source, sources say. Uh, yeah, sources yes. say. Um, <laughs> yeah. But is that uh, Corker said, look, Trump wakes up in the morning and he tweets just absolute nonsense garbage that isn't true. We all know this. You know this. I know this. This is what he does. And if you talk to 99 out of the 100 senators there, everybody knows this is true. Um, That uh, hurts a little bit. Part of it is that uh, there really isn't. You don't know between Tillerson's comments on one day uh, and uh, and what's her face, Nikki Haley's and the unit uh, ambassador's comments the next day or Trump's uh, Twitter feed or Sebastian Gorka back when he was. They all have co- very conflicting uh, comments about the same story. Sure. Um, at any given point. So they're really you don't know who's in charge in that sense is erratic. But mm-hmm. just to go Camille and then my column was much more in a Camille uh, point of view. It was it's part, partly why I liked it so much. Uh, you know what? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I can see my influence you're, you're on evil you. Evil is rubbing off yeah. on me, sadly. Yeah. But, it's called uh, nuance. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's your, that's that's your like uh, your uh, uh, your fourth slogan for Camille twenty two. It's called nuance. Never fly coach. I, 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 yeah, I like that. Uh, if there was such a campaign, that would in fact be part of it. But I, I, mean, I just want to say in two thousand eight. And if you said, I'm going to run for something, I'm like, God, you got this podcast is really going to come and bite you in the ass. Now you're like, our president's Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. Nothing matters anymore. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing it would all. probably help. Yeah, it would definitely help. Yeah. Uh, is that, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, are you seriously, people are worried that Trump is going to take us to war in North Korea. Mm-hmm. Are we, John McCain first said that we should threaten North Korea with extinction, I think, in 1994. Right. I mean, this has just been. But wait, let me push back on that a little bit, because I think that, I mean, every president uh, since sort of 1950 has has threatened North Korea with extinction. And I um, sat down with um, Ash Carter, who said the same thing. He said, all options are on the table. And I said, does that mean military options? And he said, absolutely, that means military options. That's the point of us having a military. And that's the point of us being in South Korea and having the DMZ. Right. But, but I would say but that there's, there's a, a way of articulating that. Yeah. Yes. There's an erratic <laughs> nature to it because you also, it's not only just threatening people and threatening a country with extinction, which is essentially what you do visually by th- flying sorties on the border of North Korea. That's what you're doing every day, saying, you guys screw with us and we're going to turn you into a parking lot. It's going to look like Grozny in 1999. We will do that to you. That's what we do visually to them every day. But, the, the you know, publicly saying 
that Rex Tillerson on Twitter should waste, pull back yeah. and is wasting his time is like, I mean, you know that the camera cuts to Tillerson in some meeting room somewhere in like, you know, Beijing, like with his hands in there going, what the fuck? What are you? <laughs> what the fuck? Like Jeff Green from Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's like, yeah. I can't believe it. I mean, this is crazy. Oh, sorry. That, that but this is oil. So, yeah. <laughs> that's the that's the code so, word for your mom. But sorry isn't about that. part of this part of this one hand is it? It's it's the ability of the other party to interpret the oftentimes contradictory inferred sentiment and actual statements of the administration and various other high ranking politicians that yeah. that there is a great deal of sophistication in everyone never saying well of course we don't actually want to fight and tom friedman thomas friedman of the new york times um like rides rides in a lot of <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's there it's there um never learn not to love <laughs> who rides in a lot of taxi cabs um did a segment on msnbc earlier this week you know when i look at the old rex tillerson affair i mean i see in tillerson uh, I think he's the weakest secretary of state we've had in the post-war era. He's working for the worst foreign policy president in the post-war era. And I think, in fairness to both of them, at the worst time to be conducting foreign policy in the post-war era. That we live in the worst of all possible worlds in Candide. Um, it's the best of all. I reversed it. Yeah, See what I did there? Yeah. But prior to that, I mean, Tom actually said something in the segment that I think is completely true and that most politicians are unwilling to say out loud. Really, you know, some problems are insoluble. Um, uh, and sometimes you get a country like North Korea that is, um, after successive failures of American diplomacy, bipartisan, uh, by the way, and Chinese diplomacy, they, they reach a level of, of uh, nuclear capability that we may have to live with. Um, we live with uh, being under Russian nuclear threat and Chinese nuclear threat. Let's remember when Mao got nuclear weapons, we thought that was the end of the world. And so in a choice between living with that threat and going to war, a war that we're pretty certain would cause the deaths of up to 10 million people and completely disrupt the global economy, frankly, I'm, I'm for living with it. There is one thing we know about the North Korean regime. They've been around for three generations. How many dynasties in the world can say they've survived three generations? What does that tell us? It tells us one big fact. They are not suicidal. They are homicidal. The point that I the point that I want to direct our attention back to and we can we can address all of it is this notion that everyone is saying things publicly that aren't really consistent with the core truth, which is ideally what we all hope Donald Trump understands is that while it's terrible that the North Korean regime is firing these missiles off, that they're getting closer and closer to a nuclear weapon, the possibility of a conflict is very, very serious. The, the ramifications could be very, very grave. We should do what we can to try and remedy the situation. We probably don't have many options. We definitely don't want to start a shooting war because that that totally ends badly. But if it, they get a nuclear yeah, weapon, what is the that, outcome? Will they, they use it? We don't know. No, we don't know. And But I think that the issue is not whether the, you know, erratic man in Washington does this, but the I think erratic, that's true. The erratic man in Pyongyang. Sure. And, you know, look, the North Koreans, and there's a couple of things about this that, that, that I think that people don't often consider. And it's not so much of, of, of what Donald Trump says and does he believe it? And is that going to make the situation very bad for, for, for Americans and, um, you know, and the American military and, and Seoul and the people of South Korea or people of Japan too. I think it's more that we, we, we are seeing ramifications 
in, with other countries. They realize that they cannot they can no longer negotiate the way they used to because no one is really taking the negotiating uh, power of the great businessman in, in, in Washington seriously. And everyone's backing off from this. All of these things that kept everything in place and vaguely peaceful for the past 50, 60 years are now just being tossed up in the air. And it's really making people nervous. It's what's, an, a, what's an example just to concrete? No, I mean, just that. look, as, as, as far as, you know, how like the way we are negotiating with the Chinese. Remember, remember the red Chinese? Uh, yeah, the red Chinese. Remember when Trump came out and was like, I love these guys. They're fantastic. And Bannon's, you know, veins in his neck are popping, trying to start a trade, literally saying, I want to start a trade war with China. China's our, our mortal em enemy. And remember in 2000, prior to 9-11, the, the big push, no one in the sort of neocon camp was writing anything about Islamism. They were writing about China. And then there was that plane incident. It was like, OK, this is going to be our adversary for the next 20 years. And we were in that posture. But things changed over, over, over a long period of time. And I think that the way Donald Trump has handled the Chinese, and they're like, why isn't he giving us everything? The Chinese do not see us as playing a strong hand here. And they have, like, they're laughing at Donald Trump in every possible way. And this UN resolution is the closest thing we're going to get. But that's that's a sort of global push um, to, to, to uh, punish North Korea. But I think that, you know, that is a huge problem, you know, number one. Number two, it doesn't necessarily mean that that Armageddon is what we're, we're we're facing. That's not always what we think. I mean, remember that the North Koreans have shelled South Korean islands. They have sunk South Korean ships and caused mass casualties recently. People forget about this. They have kidnapped people. They have held the Japanese hostage and they get what they want. How does that look now when the, the, your main adversary and the, and the sort of focal point of all of your propaganda, the American imperialists, are acting this way? It throws everything into utter chaos. It's not a, I don't know how this ends because nobody can possibly read the North Koreans with any specificity. It's like, you know, it's it's, you know, you roll the dice, you close your eyes, you throw a dart and see where it lands kind of thing. But it's not it's not something you really want to do. We have negotiators. I talked to two people about two months ago who have great experience in this at lunch in Washington, D.C., and they're sort of nonpartisan people. And they're like, this is amazingly difficult for us because of the schizophrenia. This of, current moment. This current yeah. moment is amazingly difficult for us because of the schizophrenia that's coming from the White House. And the left hand doesn't know what the right is doing. And they're, you know, Rex Tillerson is being told to stand down on Twitter and like, what? What's going on here? Like, we need those negotiations. And the North, this is giving the North Koreans a, an incredible advantage in negotiations because you guys don't know what you're doing. You don't. I mean, it's it's a it's a scary moment. Do I believe that the scariest part of this is a mushroom cloud that is looming over um, South Korea? Not necessarily. Mm -hmm. I, is worrying. I mean, you know, if we didn't take this stuff seriously, we wouldn't negotiate with them at all. If we didn't think the North Koreans were capable of something catastrophic like this, we wouldn't negotiate with them at all. We just say, well, they're just screwing around. We don't believe they're screwing around. We believe that they're screwing around in some sense to get extract. You know money and food aid and favorable conditions for X, Y, and Z from us. And we typically give it to them and it's been this kind of kicking the can down the road sort of thing. But what do we do now? Do you trust this administration to actually come up with some smart new policy that is going to contain uh, a regime that we did not believe was going to be more terrifying than it's the, the, the two previous regimes, which is uh, Kim Jong-il <laughs> and Kim Il-sung. 
and from it's gotten worse in every iteration. And we thought because this young little fat man uh, liked basketball and went to school in Switzerland, he'd be, you know, amenable to like, you know, talking. He has been worse than anyone. Have we seen him dribble, by the way? Like, do we do we have any uh, out of his mouth? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I uh, a couple of uh, of uh... that's a little schizophrenic in the way that I'm describing that. But it's it's I don't. This is not something that should make anyone happy. Oh, it's you know the element of surprise. He's he's head faking. He's right, playing the strategic playing, instability. Yeah, four yeah. D chess. No, we decide we discovered that that that's what we all wanted to believe. After he was elected, certainly like, no, doesn't seem like that's the case at this true. point. The one, yeah. the one true. possible, uh, I think, uh, potential good thing that might come out of that all is this: is that Japan just says, "All right, fuck it, we're gonna have to get serious about missile defense," you know, mm-hmm. or you know, the people will, will or South Korea will have to actually get more serious than just sort of outsourcing. A lot of not all of it, certainly, but certain a lot of uh, defense uh, to uh, the U.S. and then bitch about it. I think that might change as a result of that. It's not in any kind of a uh, plan sense. But I wondered, Camille, you said something that stuck with me. It was like, um, you know, it, it, it's we're in some kind of like bad situation. Um, things are going badly when it comes to uh, nuclear proliferation. Just for the sake of, of mental exercise, mm-hmm. what if we're actually – not. Yeah, I said I, I was I was suggesting that it could go could go badly. And, and but like, when like, when things are going where things are going badly is with North Korea, like that right. hasn't proceeded and, I mean, in the way anyone bad. wants. Yes, for right. sure. And it's gone badly just in the last nine months, much worse than President elect Trump had promised it would go. Yeah. In terms of uh, of the test, all that for sure. But I wonder, uh, I mean, I think people are so when they talk about foreign policy are so like, I want to go to A to from A to B. Yeah. And if I don't get to B, then everything, all the mechanisms there and all the people who are pulling the mechanisms suck and, uh, and, uh, and the whole, and, and it's, it's just pointless and everybody's a failure. And it's like, how many nuclear countries are there, Moynihan? Watch him, watch him, watch him, watch him, oh, watch him do it. Uh, don't no, look. I can't, I can't, I can't I keep, keep going. I, 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 I don't it's know. Like 17. <laughs> it's like it, I think lower, but, 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 but yeah, I don't want to. It's, it's just, we, we don't know if we count Israel because they won't admit the fact no, that we can yeah. count Israel. Yeah, yeah we can. Um, uh, no, but like, I wonder if in this totally imperfect, admittedly screwed up kind of way that we more or less, and we now is the world, it's the globalist universe that I control with my pinky finger. Um, nine. Have done by the way. kind of, just nine? <laughs> nine, yeah. No, it's not double I don't, know if, I don't know if they're including Israel. It's right. nine including Israel. Voice, voice of God, Anthony yeah. Fisher there. Um, and a beautiful, uh, beautiful. Uh, voice. Um, uh, my wife always uh, makes sure to let me know uh, that that's true. It's strange. <laughs> um that, that's a pretty good record. I mean, it's been since we dropped, we, you know, we dropped some bombs like 70 years ago at this point. Two. And <laughs> some, two. 70, 70 odd. Yeah, so a couple. No, two bombs. I'm just saying. Two. So we dropped it? some. On people. Two. Yeah. Yeah. But like that there's only 10 Don't countries start there. Uh, yeah, seriously. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll come get you. Um, I think. <laughs> what uh, do you want me to say? You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I I worry about the way we use uh, non-proliferation as an excuse to go to war. I mean, it's a big part of going to the Iraq war. People genuinely believed that they had nuclear weapons and that that prospect was so frightening that we Uh had to go to war. Sure. Um, That was the motivation, regardless of what everyone else in the world might think. Yeah. uh, And we see the same thing happening right now with the Iran deal and And this complete very similar opposition to the Iran deal. And I mean, there's been a lot of talk, uh, including among a lot of uh, never Trump or as I call them now, the – 
the uh, the unfitters um, uh, yeah, Republicans, you know, a lot of those people were singing bomb, 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 Iran not too long ago, too. And it's always in the name of preventing sort of nuclear proliferation. By the way, some of those people are, are saying that because of the person in the White House, that we um, should keep the Iran deal, uh, like particularly Max Bo- Max Boot. You know, not somebody who was a fan of the Iran deal wrote something in defense of the Iran deal and foreign policy, I think last week or two weeks ago, mm-hmm. saying like, you know, this is this is not my ideal deal. It only shortens the time in which Iran can can create a nuclear weapon. Um, and it did not give us any concessions on human rights. That was another big one. And, you know, the, the the film that I did, actually, I interviewed Ernest Moniz, who was one of the negotiators of the Iran deal from the Obama side. We didn't use it, actually, because he was sort of more on the science end. Mm-hmm. But he was pretty interesting. He also told me, by the way, that Rick Perry, um, he was the energy secretary, and Rick Perry was um, called him every day. And he said, you know, I talked to other people about incoming uh, Trump administration types uh, that were uh, filling their slots, and they didn't hear from any of them. And he said, I have to give Perry credit. He's been gotten a lot of uh, crap, but he was actually very curious, and he was calling me all the time, telling me how to do this and what's what's going on, which is both terrifying and a little a little sort of makes me exhale a little bit because it is Rick Perry. But, you know, these guys make a case about the Iran deal that it's was the best of a lot of bad options, as many of these things are. I'm not completely swayed by it. But I think that when Donald Trump, I mean, I, I'm amazed by by the media and I hate using that writ large media thing of the people when they get an opportunity to interview Donald Trump, um, they get so obsessed with the tweets and the offensive comments and this, mm-hmm, that and the mm-hmm. other. When Donald Trump has said repeatedly that the Iran deal is the worst deal that the United States has ever brokered with a, with another nation. Or still he's ever seen. He's ever seen. <laughs> and this is a man who would have been called the art of the deal. The only thing he knows is deals. Right? Apparently. That's what I'm told. We were promised great deals. We were promised great deals. So he will renegotiate that incredibly horrible deal. What no one had ever done. I were too obsessed with his tweets and, you know, what he thinks about this, that, and, you know, Muslim ban and the rest of it. All important issues. We can talk about that stuff. That's utter, that's completely fine. But do you ever see a member of our media, which is apparently so hard on Donald Trump, ever say to him when he says, worst deal ever, can't, worst, like, give me a specific of why it's a bad deal. Well, you know, this, that, no, 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 yeah. Comrade Trump, give me a line item that you would like to see changed in the Iran deal to make this a better deal in the interest of the people of the United States and actually in the pe- interest of the people of Iran who are held captive by a psychopathic um, group of, you know, ayatollahs and bad people. Let's just say bad people. I don't want to – your mom's going to get mad if I swear too much. Not really. So ask him that question. Whoever asked that man specifics on policy, because we're so wrapped up in the noise that the Trump administration has created. I don't believe this is 4D chess. I don't believe he's doing that deliberately to kind of do a sleight of hand, do a little close magic because, oh, you know, I'll, I'll say this sort of incredible thing on Twitter and they fall for it. And at the same time, no one's paying attention to the stupidity in the fact of my tax plan or the fact that I don't have a plan to repeal and replace Obamacare. It's not deliberate. The man is having consistent temper tantrums. There is, and, but and, no one is questioning it on specifics and just beating the ever-loving. Where is the David Frost? Where is the Oriana Falacci? Where are these great interviewers that are out there getting time with Trump? If it's Chris Wallace, otherwise, I understand you have a short period of time and you want to get to a bunch of things. Do not do that as an interviewer with Donald Trump. Start with the Iran deal and do twenty minutes on it until the guy 
you know, expires in front of you. How many articles have there been even just this week Mm -hmm. where he erupts in fury at his own staff when he learns that the policy that he's been championing does a thing that he didn't know it was going to do All this right. week. It was tax reform, mm-hmm. like uh, the state and local tax uh, deduction, which there's, you know, pretending that they're going to try to get rid of, uh, even though there's no way in hell if they'll ever get rid of, uh, of it for reasons that we talked about recently here. But Trump learned that, wait, some middle class people are going to be hurt by, you know, if you get rid of the state and local tax deduction. Yeah. Every middle class person in the states of California and Illinois and New York and New Jersey and also Nebraska and some other places, too, um, are going to get hammered because of this. And they're, it's going to change their lives. So which is obvious. Mm-hmm. I mean, whenever you have a large tax deduction, you're going to you're going to take away the cookie. Um, uh, the, the people who live in high tax states, uh, who, high income, high tax states are going to get screwed. So people who are middle class and he erupts in fury because he doesn't fucking know the policy. Well, he look, remember re- with, with health care, uh, the, the House version of the uh, Obamacare replacement, he comes out and he says, this is mean. Is this man uh, like, is this a real human? Is this a hologram of Tupac? <laughs> what on earth? Are you serious? His response to the uh, the replacement that the, the House had seven years to put together and failed and flailed doing it every moment said it's mean. He doesn't know what's happening to feed him. This is not, this is 1D chess. This is not even, this is checkers. This is, I don't know what, this is mini golf. But it's an incredible thing to watch somebody who doesn't have any sense of what these policies are. Here's, and I'd well, love to see people challenge him well, on he, this and just watch him collapse. He cares about, he cares about winning. Um, there was a, a story from back in September, and I, I don't think we talked about it. And uh, Dan Beer, uh, one of our producers, reminded me of this uh, earlier this week when we were talking. Um, but this meeting he has with a, a coalition of Democrats and Republicans who are interested in getting things done. And uh, the report suggested that he listens to a Democratic presentation on what we should do about the uh, Affordable Care Act and how to fix it. And the question he asks at the end of the presentation is, well, can I call it repeal and replace? The substance of the legislation is, of course, inconsequential to him. He wants victories. He He's willing to migrate from one position to, to the next. But there is something else. And of course, the president doesn't isn't interested in details and doesn't care about those those things. It's appearances that matter. Yes, many journalistic outlets are ended in the more salacious details, the 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 bigger, grander, more um scintillating story, the the Smaller, grand conspiracy in some yeah, but the grand conspiracy in some cases, the 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 generalizing about a story. There was a story this week about um, Google discovering that tens of thousands of dollars had been spent on their platform by folks who might be associated with Russia. So expose like the Washington Post, I, I say expose. It's just, it's a story that gets reported and they're bold headlines about election meddling tens of thousands of dollars. The truth is that this is rewarded, that there is an interest in those stories and even if people were asking the tough questions about policy here, there's some percentage of the population that is interested in this. And there's some percentage of the population that's not. And I'm, I don't know if it's this week or what, but I, I, I've been watching the, the Vietnam documentary, PBS. Yeah, very good. Um, and it, it's odd. I, I'm not I'm clearly not ignorant of the period. Yeah. That is not something in which I am completely expert. I have to rely 
in large part of the narrative that is being spun for me. It is impossible to miss. Which is and, and, and when I when I say narrative that's being spun for me, I mean that in the sense that all all of all film is narrative, right? Documentary films are making a point. It's impossible to miss the obvious parallels. Johnson, who has a, a, a relationship with the press where he, he goes off when they're reporting things he doesn't like, oftentimes exposing explicit lies that he is telling and misrepresentations. In some cases, they're too close to the president. They're carrying water for him. In other cases, he's denigrating him and, and effectively calling them enemies um, who are supporting the, 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 the communists. Like, it's, it makes one cringe to see the depths of the, I don't know if depravity is the word, but the fact, the the truth, the, the substantive, like detailed, analytical, critical thinking aspect of policy analysis that we often engage in here, like the, the facts. Will this work or will it not? It's probably not what is driving the decision making of most voters who go to the polls. Probably not. I think that one uh, substantive difference as far as the media is concerned is that when you have those tapes in the Ken Burns documentary, which is very good, I, I have there's I have many disagreements with it, but I thought it was a terrific piece of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched the last one a couple nights ago and I was sort of like welling up with tears in the last bit. It was like expertly done, especially the last episode is very, very good. Um, but I think the difference is when you hear Johnson in those tapes and you hear Nixon later, and you'll see these in later episodes on the tape saying horrible things too, is that there's an idea amongst them that the, the press is the enemy. They're working for the, basically for the NLF, working for the North Vietnamese, working for Ho Chi Minh, um, you know, whether they're doing it explicitly or just, you know, giving a helping hand, they see, you know, Johnson says this, Nixon says this, they don't say it publicly. And that's a big difference Mm -hmm. is because, you know, when you say it publicly, you're telling the American people constantly that the press is the enemy and we should do something to get rid of them or pen them in at least at the very least. And I don't excuse the behavior of uh, either Johnson or Nixon who acted like complete ratbags, both of them, Mm -hmm. especially when it came to Vietnam. I mean, Nixon, especially monstrous, monstrous humans, monstrous in uh, in so many ways is that they understood that they would play all nice with the press publicly because that it is a certain type of poison to go out with the Cadillo mentality and say that in, a, in our society, this stuff should be eliminated and we should use the full power of government to make sure that NBC doesn't report fake news and put that into the bloodstream. And you had Spiro Agnew talking about the pointy headed intellectuals, et cetera. Right. It's a common talking point. Negative on, nabobs. Ne- yeah. N- nattering negative nabobs. <laughs> no, no. Nattering nabobs of negativity. And <laughs> saying that stuff is fine. And look at, you know, Spiro Agnew ended up, you know, in, in court. Um, look, it's one thing to say that stuff privately and try to work against them. All, none of which is, which is, which is okay. And that's what, uh, but doing that public, I think is some, somehow different. I think that's an important distinction when a lot of people are making the parallels this week with Trump's, uh, you know, impotent, uh, tweets about, uh, NBC, NBC and challenging the licenses that Nixon had made a similar gesture to Catherine Graham and the Washington Post. I forget what the specific license or merger was at the time, but that was done in private. Mm-hmm. Um, back when, you know, uh, the publisher of the Washington Post and and a president at any given time had a private relationship mm-hmm. and these types of, you know, and Trump is making it public. 
I um I agree with with this. The the back in uh, December or so uh, before uh, the inauguration, Trump was making some idiotic uh, comments about ah we should criminalize flag burning, um, even though that decision was already made, made. <laughs> in the 1980s by by Scalia. Um, it's not it's not there, but it's like the NFL thing. This is like he knows it's good when he's going against this group that a big chunk of his fan base hates. Great. So that's going to be good politics for him. Um, and so he continues to uh, hit these things. So at the time, I, uh, I wrote a thing uh, at uh, at reason of like the five steps for kind of dealing with a terrible Trump tweet. And it sort of starts with like, OK, can he do anything? <laughs> Does he have the power in his fingers right now to do the thing? Yeah. OK. Usually the answer is, is not is no. Uh, uh, you, uh, oftentimes it is you Rampalian, you Fustelarian. No, which is my coffee cup for fuck. No. Um, <laughs> then you work through can can or will Congress do anything about this in this guy? Fuck no. It's just not. No, Ajit Pai, the, the, the director of the FCC. Or, yeah. Could, said, had a, a, a speech two weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, talking specifically about how the culture of free speech in this country is going to hell in a handbasket. And he sees it with all these people making complaints about how we should pull licenses yeah. of cable companies that we don't disagree. So Trump's own people are talking about not particularly him in this context, but the, the, the implication is kind of there. So no, yeah, uh, we, Trump we can't talked do about it. that in the last he couple of weeks. Do too. It. Um, and so then you start thinking, um, all right, well, uh, is, is it one of the steps is like, a, is it possible that something good can come from this? And yes, the answer is yes, there can be a backlash to this. There has been already Trump has been hitting against the media so hard that for the first time in my recent memory, there's been a, a bump in the public approval rating of media, the trustworthiness index of media for not better, that's for my, better, for better or worse. Not that that's my goal necessarily, except yeah. for my own work. But but just to say that there is room for a backlash against whatever nonsense that Trump is saying um, at any given point. So that's that's. Yeah. And I think that one of the great things about this and, and when we exhale a little bit and you see people um, from January 20th to today. And I think that I understand this, especially people, as you were saying, Camille, that don't really understand policy. They don't want to hear Trump being challenged on this. They don't care about the specifics of it. They like the kind of signaling that he does against and for certain groups, um, all of which is true. But one of the things that, that, that I find sort of interesting about it is that, you know, what all of the panic that happened that I advised against, and I advised against it on this show, I advised mm -hmm. against it my, to, to my friends, is that I, the one thing that I'll take away from this, no matter how bad things get, and I don't think that they're bad so much, except for kind of culturally bad. Mm -hmm. I think that the culture on every end is really going off the rails, whether it's just these, these kind of pitchfork mobs of, you know, people on either side, you know, like saying, let's let's shame everyone. And then who can we destroy next? As we were talking about earlier. I like that you said either side and not both sides. They're not both sides. No, either side. It doesn't matter. Whatever. What I'm playing 90 chess. It's yeah. The, the, the from the syndicalists to the Marxists <laughs> to the. Yeah, it would have been better if you said many sides. Many, many sides, sides. Many sides. Many sides. Fisher, you're right. A shout out to the situationalists. Too? Yeah, the situationalists. <laughs> also. But one of the things that I try to be positive about this stuff in some way, this is my the new me trying to be slightly more positive with this stuff is that what I take away from this is the incredible robustness of the American system. 
And if people believed as they believed, as everyone said to me, because they don't really understand government and that's fine. You're not so really supposed to. You don't. I don't know how my TV works. Mm-hmm. I just know that when I plug it in, it goes on. And if it doesn't, I call somebody. Right. So they don't really understand how this these mechanisms of government work. That's totally fine. Not you, there's too many people in this country to understand this stuff. But they <laughs> they they also there's a number of people that I knew, smart people, not educated on, on politics, but smart about a lot of things that believed that because the Republican Party, uh, you know, controlled both houses of Congress, then controlled the White House, had a Supreme Court pick, if not two, that they would drive a freight train through Washington, D.C., and we would see such a transformed country within 12 months. The number of people that said this to me is not five. It's not 10. It's 500. It's every time I had dinner with somebody, every time you were out at a dinner party, every time you were at a party, anything that, that, uh, uh, you know, these dreaded cocktail parties. You know, but in New York, they're different than the D.C. You still go to those, don't you? No, I go out in D.C. And and here, it's different, you know. And people are petrified. They're like, look, I know all this stuff. These Republicans control everything. And I would always plead with them and say the robustness of this American system is that it's designed and set up for dysfunction. There's a certain level of dysfunction that's a little too much. It's a little too far. And I I can I accept that argument. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I like gridlock, as I think all three of us do. We don't want people driving a freight train through things. But it also made a monolith, which is what we try not to do about race, but we do about gender. I hear that if men would stop being horrible, I've been reading this a lot with the Harvey Weinstein stuff, Mm -hmm. then this. If we didn't, if men were not like, stop, don't, if you wouldn't say that about a race, don't say it about a gender. It's 50% of the I mean, if you wouldn't say it about black people, I don't want no, any, no, any, no, any, no, but the, Jews, but, you know, but it Hispanics. is generally acceptable to make those kinds yeah. of assertions about whiteness. And I don't white want people. that in the same thing applies I mean, I to say political parties, too. Yeah, the same thing applies to political parties. The Republicans control this motherfucker. There's a lot <laughs> of disagreement within the party from neocons to realists, to the sort of Freedom Caucus, to the, you know, God knows what the Murkowskis and Collins could have, like the liberal wing of the party. This is a very disparate party in some ways, but we've forgotten about that because we use these old boring tropes that there's no difference between the two parties. It's essentially the same thing. It's not true. There are differences between the parties and there are differences within the party. And now we're seeing with Donald Trump, everyone was paranoid that because of this you know, control one side, they would be walking through DC, setting fire to things and like, you know, smashing columns and statues and idols with hammers. It didn't happen because there is a certain robustness to the system, even if everybody in that party, the Republican Party, agreed. You're not going to go around saying we're going to shut down NBC. It is not going to happen. But the thing it's that, a bad instinct and I hate it, but it's not going to happen. All of that Sorry, is it's not. that all of that is is uh, is admirably uh, true and needs uh, needs reminding. The thing that I'm worried about and that Moynihan is also worried about, I think, um, is that the only potential danger in his comment is what it might plant in the seeds of the political culture going forward. I totally agree. Just like we've uh, seen it on the left with with with, you know, what the split in the ACLU. We talked about this, I think, last week of the 200 people out of a 1200 person organization are saying that we don't like what the ACLU does. We're not, you know, people that give five dollars to everything. We work for the ACLU. And oh, my God, wait, the ACLU does ACLU things. We have to stop doing that because we thought it was the lawyers guild. Right. We thought it was a sort of lefty kind of hashtag resistance thing. Mm-hmm. And that's not what it is. And we see people from within the ACLU, the storied institution of the ACLU, which defends, you know, um, civil liberties. But it, more than often than not in the past 50 years, defends First Amendment rights. And now when you see this rewriting of what the First Amendment is and what free speech is, 
is and what hate speech is, we see how much on one side of the aisle we can change the opinion of what a fundamental right enshrined to the American Constitution, how it exists in people's heads, how it lies there. Well, there's a, a the Daily, the podcast that the New York Times does, Michael Barbara did one on Monday with one of these ACLU dissenters and a couple of mainstream people. And she was a black woman who grew up in the South. And she said, well, you know, it's different because of the terrorism that I grew up with and the Klan and they marched and this is not uh, free speech. And it's very easy, it seems, in a very short period of time to change not the average person's idea of what free speech is. Members and employees of the fucking ACLU have now re kind of conditioned themselves to what speech is. Do I think this can't happen on the other side? I see it happening. It's on happening the other side. now. I mean, think I about see this. the right doing Donald this Trump. What was it? Ten days ago it was like. Oh, some people are saying that it's about time with all the fake news to rethink the fairness doctrine. Uh -huh. When there are conservatives and Republicans who with a straight face are even yeah. retweeting like, equal, yeah, you know what? Fairness equal, doctrine. Equal uh -huh. This uh -huh. was this was one of the biggest, you know, single wonky kind of media principles that every single non-Democrat had for a half century. Right. Yeah. The fairness doctrine is terrible. And if you get rid of it, it's going to allow for proliferation of ideas and the market of ideas. And it's going to be good for all of us. Trump is literally reshaping, yeah. I think, the Republican He's Party. He's too dumb to actually say fairness doctrine. He said um, no. equal time, I think, on, Twitter, no, I, on I, Twitter. I thought he said uh, fairness doctrine. He might doctrine. have actually said that after. I don't know if someone can check that. But, but it, the first tweet that I saw was something about we uh, should have should we, equal, should we have equal, equal time. time. Yeah, should and we have equal like, time? That's, worse. But that's just the fairness. I mean, it's the fairness yeah. doctrine. It's completely crazy. But, like, yeah, he's, so he's, he's yeah. yanking that group over there in the same way that the ACLU people. More and more people are suggesting that Republicans and me and me is in colon <laughs> and me Gosh, yeah. should be given equal time on TV. Does that mean he's not a Republican? By yes. <laughs> yes. Equal time is he's, in caps. He's, of course. Yes. He's, it, he's sounds beyond, like it, it looks if you read it, it looks like the name of a TV show. Yeah. Like um, tonight I'll be on equal time. Well, his, his, his party house, his party is the is the party of Trump. We've talked about this. We've talked about this before. Look, if Donald Trump were a better candidate, if he were more eloquent, if he were less obviously offensive, if he were more Barack Obama, he would be able to get certain things done. Yes, he would. And when he was making I think that's true. horrible, egregious claims in public or asserting these horrible things in public about censoring media organizations, when he was um, blustering about what ought to happen to Colin Kaepernick or whoever else, when he was doing these ugly things, it might be more persuasive and more people might be inclined to agree with it. Um, and there, there are Plenty of examples of this having happened in the past, in which case the I'm only so comfortable with the resilience of the system as it has been demonstrated. There's a there's a degree of luck here in having this particular guy be this particular this particularly awful, which is why I still hope that when people introduce things like um, is it uh, Lou uh, in January who first introduced the legislation that would have um, taken way the sort of unilateral ability of the president to launch uh, a first strike with nuclear weapons. Well, yeah, let's do that. If Congress is genuinely concerned about this, if you're genuinely concerned about the unique danger of this particular candidate, then when Tom Friedman talks about this stuff publicly, this worst of all possible worlds that we live in, it feels like you have a responsibility to talk about that kind of policy fix but I, that yeah, you should be talking yeah, about actual reforms to the surveillance legislation is that you made a distinction which 
I think no one really cared much about during the campaign because he's this fresh new voice and he's just going to you know, shake it up. And I, I thought it, I was I actually talked about this today with someone and he's like, it's like shaking baby syndrome right now. He's shaking the, <laughs> oh the baby's dead now. Stop shaking it. You're shaking it too much. Like, you know, the snow globe has been smashed and it's all over the place. You know, he's going to shake it up. And what they, what people conflated is what you need in a president besides somebody who has some measure of, of, of mental and psychological stability is you need, you need somebody not who's a businessman, but somebody who's a salesman. And there is a, a thing that came out yesterday, which Trump's approval ratings have dropped in every single state since he's taken office. Some of them are more precipitous drops than others, but his approval ratings are garbage because people were like, oh, let's just try this guy out. It seems like a bit of fun, right? <laughs> he's, you know, he had a show and he was pretty funny on the show. He's pretty funny on the stump. Let's be honest. He's a funny he's guy funny. when he does stuff on the stump. You know, I saw the clip, by the way, the other day of when he was um, in the in the uh, debate with Hillary Clinton. You know, it is, uh, it's just awfully good that someone with the temperament of Donald Trump is not in charge of the law in our country. Because you'd be in jail. Secretary Clinton. <laughs> it was like a great line. I was like, oh my God, that was a really good line. That was like a good one line. It was a good comeback. But his approval ratings dropping everywhere. And it is in the toilet because he has gone from the blustering businessman to a blustering and ineffective salesman. He cannot sell things. And as you said, and I think you're right about this, if it was a different president with a similar agenda, he would be, you know, making deals. I mean, this is the thing. John McCain, great example of this. John McCain comes and does his half thumb down, which he, of course, you know, Trump apparently made fun of later, either not realizing or not caring that John McCain can't make a full thumbs down because oh, he was tortured. I, I, I think he realizes. I think he realizes that. I'm trying to, like, I'm just trying to give him the better of the doubt because I, I give him some, uh, like, a really hard time. But think about McCain. It's like, how good of a deal maker is this? Ask yourself, how good of a businessman and a deal maker doesn't think two steps in advance? This is not Gary Kasparov. This is the kid who's a promising chess player in a school in the Bronx and seven years old. That's the type of chess he's playing. He's not thinking of five steps ahead. In the campaign, I guess he doesn't think he's going to win. And all of these insults at John McCain, that'll never come back to me. You're a friggin' deal maker? And you don't realize that that one guy strutting across the Senate floor you know, licking his lips, ready to put that thumbs down and torpedo something because you partially, I mean, also a piece of bad piece of legislation, but because you were an asshole to him and he's going to wreak his revenge. He's got a 52 to 48 majority in the Senate. How many of that 52 has he insulted? Has he insulted <laughs> very, very directly? Directly. Yeah. Directly. I mean, not just even in a campaign. I'm, you know, he's yeah, running against Lindsey Graham. I got his phone number. He keeps calling me. Uh, Telling Mitch McConnell to get back to work from the golf course was a great touch. <laughs> Ted Cruz's wife. Ted, Ted Cruz's wife. Oh, I mean, his yeah, dad, who was in on the JFK assassination. I mean, come on. Yeah. Jeff Flake. Uh, Jeff Flake. Dean well, Heller. Jeff Flake Rand Paul, one. although yeah. he and Rand Paul are, are very good friends now, there was the uh, the moment, the press conference today uh, where the president didn't didn't quite lay out a, a, a plan for actually doing anything to the uh, Affordable Care Act, but essentially talked about the grand ideas, the ambitions he has for reforming the Affordable Care Act um, and asserted that he is going to direct his people to give him some specifics on how to get this done. But at one moment in the remarks, he talks about the obstructionists who had been stopping him all along the way. And, and I think he says it's about three of them. But I'm seeing just over his shoulder, 
his right shoulder, as I as I look at it, Rand Paul <laughs> has been part of the problem, too. Um, but and singled out for him uh, yeah. from him as being a big obstructionist. You're right. Like he hasn't. And in, in, in a sense, when he does that, those of us who are both worried about his bad ideas and kind of incipient authoritarian tendencies um, and uh, and and others and, and who don't like when he goes and plays, you know, the culture war, you know, look, there's a, a squirrel, go go bark at it kind of thing. Um, actually, that's how, when when he decides that he needs to go to war against Colin Kaepernick. That's almost an admission yeah. that he doesn't he's not interested in governing. No, he's, he's interested not. in it's maintaining true. an intense relationship with the dwindling number of MAGA hot wearing slobs who love him. Uh, and so that will work. Those numbers will dwindle. Um, that was something else. Was still... I just realized that you said that. Yeah. The MAGA hat wearing slobs. I, I don't think I don't think yeah. he, he meant it. Yeah. No, he he's, he's being he creative. Meant. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, why Figure did you choose it slobbed? I mean, no, didn't no, say no, that he, no, I, I meant, no. I, I meant. I just want to point out the 538 uh, uh, poll tracker, which is actually a really great visual uh, thing. Uh, 47.8 approval rating uh, on January 25th and 42% disapproval. That's almost 50%. And then you pull that guy um, over to today and the disapproval uh, is 56% and 37% approval. I mean, that's a pretty dramatic – I mean, that's a, that's amazing. And he started off – and this is in, in the – And that's, this is – The modern history the year, of yeah. public opinions, basically Harry Truman onwards. Um, he started off lower than anyone ha- had been. The only one who came close was Clinton um, uh, and, yeah. and because he was very – you know, he didn't win that many votes. Um, it was a divided country and, and whatnot and he's kind of weird. Um but like he has started from this very low point and then just taken a nosedive. It's yeah, amazing. it seems it seems the peak uh, disapproval is fifty seven point four percent, and it's kind of hovers back and forth around that pretty consistently recently. I mean, Rush Limbaugh went after him about it, the NFL today, or not today, but this week. Rush Limbaugh he's is like, that true? Yeah, he's like, uh, you know what? I think I'm uncomfortable with a commander in chief going after a private business like this. Hmm. Like it's it's. I don't want to say it's happening with did, the Ron did, Paul did, wave did of he, the arms. Did he actually, definitely don't. <laughs> did he actually then say, I'm also uncomfortable with the president of the United States saying that he wants to revoke a license from a media organization for being critical nah, of him? Yeah. He wasn't going to go that far. Go that far. Uh, okay. But, but uh, uh, I think commendably, a lot of the conservatives that I pay attention to out there uh, did a lot of like, uh, okay, come on. Sean Hannity is the last one left. And speaking of Sean Hannity, I just wanted to throw this in there from a previous conversation about no tough interviewers. Trump went on with Sean Hannity. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, and of course, he's not a tough interviewer, but the the revelation of the lack of policy uh, detail and, and uh, knowledge of, of Trump was amazing. There's a section you can go find it on Twitter. A lot of people were passing it around. Uh, uh, where Trump is sort of like freelancing about the national debt and decides that because the stock market has increased in value by X trillion uh, since he's been elected, <laughs> that's effectively uh, getting rid of the national debt. I mean, that's really uh, sending the national it, debt it down. Was, it was the most economically <laughs> illiterate thing a president <laughs> has said in a long time. And presidents are very, 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 very likely to say illiterate things. That was really, that really took that's a cake. A when I watched that, I was like, I thought that was one of those like li- bad lip syncing things that people, I was like, he can't, he can't possibly mean that. Uh, I just, I'm, I haven't seen it, but I can only just picture the very serious eyebrows of Sean Hannity as he's nodding vigorously up and down like yes 
Yeah. Yes, you must be onto something. Yeah. No, I mean, this. It, one of the things that I think is really distressing is that trying to get anybody from the White House to talk to you, not off the record, but yeah, on Yeah, because they love to do that. They like to do that. On, yeah. that's, that's their sport. It actually has dried up a little bit since a lot of these people have left and since there's been some purges and since they, they, they're they keeping a tighter tighter leash on people in the yeah, White remember House. Remember when the Mooch was going to fix all of that? Yeah, he's he, five, day, five days in, you know, and then he was gone. But trying to get Donald Trump to sit down for, for an interview, there was, it was definitely more towards the end of his second term. But Barack Obama was like... Let's Mike.com. Let's do that shit. Let's go fucking Mike.com. <laughs> who's that Cal yeah. bathtub? Yeah, Cheerios. who's going back up? F- Fusion? Yeah, they're going to ask him softball. They're all Sean Hannity's too. But at the same time, it's like he, you know, he was out there a lot more than this guy is. And I find it like really, really distressing that you can't get Donald Trump to sit down for an interview. I would desperately like to interview Donald Trump. And I would do it in a, you know, respectful way. I wouldn't shout in his face, but I'd love to challenge the guy. And it's just not going to happen despite requests being made. And I've, you know, the organization that I work for has made many requests. And it's nobody wants to go in and burn your house down because it's a boring interview. The art of the interview is not to go in and shout at somebody. That's not an interview. That's, you know, combat TV, which is boring. And I think that, you know, as Camille was talking about the media's, you know, crappy headlines and, you know, not getting things right, et cetera. I think that, you know, there's a great market opportunity here for, you know, you know, a, a, a reversion back to at least a couple of television shows that are like BBC Hard Talk or Firing Line or something. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think there's a great, you know, because there's so little of it now. And remember when we used to see Keith Olbermann and what was that guy, Dylan Radigan, and these people who were like yelling and screaming during the Bush years and like, oh, that'll fade out. And then it's just replaced by Republicans shouting and screaming during the Obama years. And now it's just everybody. And it's so exhausting. Like, when was the last time you turned on cable television with some sense that you would be enlightened by any issue? I don't. Whenever I'm on. Well, whenever <laughs> you're on. But I have a, I have this uh, computer program that I wrote that when it, it out, sees the outline of your face, it just shuts off the power. <laughs> That's fair enough. I, all I'm doing right now not is. Not the TV, the power. I'm, sp- I, I'm not listening to where you say, but you uh, should, I'm, because I'm speeding hurt, through uh, to, the, uh, to the imaginary B-roll of the Moynihan Trump uh, oh, uh, interview. Walking? Uh, no, when you you're like walking with him on the golf course. Definitely yeah. Super Bowl, and, and like halftime. Yeah. Well, you're I, like I, whiffing. No, maybe, no maybe, <laughs> maybe this is why they don't respond. But what I had said is that maybe at the beginning of just the two of us rollerblading. Like, oh, <laughs> like holding hands or like pinkies? No, just yeah. like laughing. Like yeah. really hard laughs. Yeah. Just because he told me a joke and then I told him one and we have like a mutual friend and we're rollerblading and I've got like yoga pants on. He asked me about them and, and I'm like, what are you mining, doing? grabbing <laughs> yeah, people by yeah. the shorts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we just talk about all the old times and Ivana. Not Ivana, Ivana. We're going yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. You know, that would be fun. Marla Maples, what the fuck were you thinking? We're roll- I'm rollerblading backwards. It's great. I've got a St. Louis Blues jersey on. I don't know why. <laughs> you know, like a Brett Hall jersey on. I don't know. I'm just fucking hanging around. And then we sit down. We, un- we unhook the boots. The, the the boots. We take them off, and we sit down. And like, let's get down to business, and then we enlighten America. That's uh, all I asked for. Yeah. Is the theme song from Welcome Back, Cotter, like during the uh, the montage of the rollerblading? No, it's a different John Sebastian song. It's uh, it's a Eleven Spoonful song. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that John Sebastian from Eleven Spoonful yeah. did the Welcome Back, Cotter song. It's a pretty good song, by the way. I, I, what? Does anyone like you guys know what the fuck I'm talking about? I don't. I Are don't you really. Pretending I don't know my yeah, John you, Sebastian you, trivia. Yeah, it's great. It's a great. The whole really the full song is really good and yeah. unfortunately it has a harmonica solo in it yeah though. it's kind of you know, <laughs> i, I only like, read i only, only remember the mason betha uh sample 
for when he, yeah, he came right. back and was still mm-hmm. doing the gospel mm-hmm. rap thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the you know the one 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 last related thing, um, and this isn't uh, an effort to to besmirch both sides, um, but to point out something that I think is still genuinely disconcerting. We've talked a few times about the Facebook scandal. I mentioned the Google thing a little earlier. There were two Democratic congresspersons, uh, Rep. Emanuel Cleaver uh, from Missouri, Missouri yeah. and uh, Bonnie Watson Coleman from New Jersey, who sent a letter to one Jack Dorsey at Twitter. They're sending this letter because um, there is uh, some indication that Russian related folk were spending money on Twitter to promote these messages. Initially, we were concerned about the president being supported by the Russians. Now we've seamlessly transitioned to they were promoting racial disharmony and disunity online. And this is very dangerous. And there is a there's a closing section of the letter that stands out. If Twitter is unable or hesitant to grasp the seriousness of the threat, what is not at all clear when you hear that phrase is whether the threat is coming from Congress or the threat is the the Russians who are meddling. And the truth is that the threat is coming from both the threat from the Russians on social media is rather trivial at this point. There, It's just totally fact trivial. that it's rather trivial, trivial as in ain't a lot of money being spent. Most people aren't clicking these links. Most people aren't persuaded. What what definitely is meaningful already is the fact that Silicon Valley power brokers, whatever you might think of them, and there are some people listening who think, well, yeah, we need to rein them in. Um, Those people are already shaking in their boots that the culture and climate of this country is, in fact, being reshaped. And it is happening because of the hysterics and antics from a president who often seems unmoored and is unprincipled and is not sophisticated and doesn't understand his job and isn't interested in details. And oftentimes a political establishment, and I mean Democrats and Republicans who are freaked out by all of those things, and in many cases in their responses to him and the things that they claim are reasonable to do, are suggesting things that are very disconcerting. And I don't I don't know that most Americans get that. And I, I don't know how to fix that problem. I think so. one of the worst thing about about um, the Trump election is it is given a number of people and you can debate whether they're right or wrong about this in the kind of media landscape and in the, the sort of Washington, D.C. universe, too. The sense that the American people are easily persuaded and cannot be trusted. So, I mean, typically you would have this idea that the best disinfectant of bad ideas or sunlight and, you know, this is an old saw and that put mm-hmm. the bad ideas out there and we'll debate them to death. I increasingly hear people saying that we put bad ideas out there and people are persuaded by them that if there's a Russian campaign on Facebook or one on Twitter of $10,000 spent or $100,000 spent chump change in the, in the grand scheme of things that we don't even try to quantify if it was effective because we know that 60 million people voted for Donald Trump and people are easily persuaded by bad ideas. And so therefore we can no longer trust the American people because they voted for Donald Trump. And (laughs) what we should do instead is try to, in our infinite wisdom, the best and the brightest to prevent them from hearing these ideas in the first place, because they're too stupid to actually kind of adjudicate them on their own. It's the sheep theory. Yeah. Basically people are sheep and they're being, uh, they're being spun. Which, which, 
it's it's possible for me to believe uh, the the sheep theory in some in some ways, um, and and to not stupid. believe the necessity of no. I think people rationally don't bother getting sophisticated about certain things because the incentives for being right, like factually right about a particular belief that you hold might not be all that profound. Yeah, like he's the, got the, a mouthful of gummy bears. I just want the to incentive, I do, I like, do. You can, you can hear it. This is like, a, it's a, it's just a radio, this is a microphone-based yeah. program. Yeah. <laughs> he's just like it's shotgun a, in the gummy it's, bears. It's, great. it's a microphone-based program. Yeah. That's right. Well, I, we, we, can, we can get out of here. Um, yeah, uh, we've, we've, we've done, we've done a fair amount. Um, yeah, we've been I'm, I'm interested to listen to this again. I do. I listen to these podcasts. Yeah, you edit them. I listen afterwards. I, I do. I do edit them, but I, I don't edit them for content. Oftentimes I'm editing for time, popping in music. So I try to take out the <sighs> deep breaths and stuff like that afterwards. And it's not man. just me. There's it's an engineer who's responsible for some of these what things. About but the gummy bear smacking. I was going to say yeah. on substance, I enjoy these conversations. I feel enlightened afterwards and i often laugh at my own jokes um to, to the extent the that i make any time. yeah the, uh, the second and third time yeah it's it's very good i think what we do here is very good for for america gentlemen do you have um any anything good interesting or terrible and deplorable that you've read this week that is is worth sharing and dealing with here I got one somebody wrote this and uh, I'm not going to quote for it uh, from it because I don't have my computer in front of me but it's uh, uh, in the transom of all this crap there's a Harvey Weinstein uh, op-ed talking about how we really need to lay off Roman Polanski that he wrote in 2009 I think he he wrote it for the independent the independent rebroadcast it but it includes the incredible line and it's just a bunch of, you know, apologia for Polanski and like, oh, there's a lot of irregularities with a criminal case. And I'm not afraid to go to Schwarzenegger myself and blah, blah, blah. But he uses the line, he is, comma, at heart, comma, a humanist. A hum- like he's he's like he's a human. Like he's – are you serious? He said – Yeah. It's he like, is at he's heart like- a humanist. And you can tell this – like Richard Dawkins or something. <laughs> you can tell this – no. By the way, he fucks 14-year-old girls totally. and then writes about it later. Yeah. Um, yeah. She was I, I, not can I, can I, unresponsive. Can I, can I <laughs> modify that slightly just, yeah. just for the point of accuracy? Yeah. Uh, uh, he drugs and then rapes 14-year-old <laughs> girls. I mean, that's Cosby's territory. Polanski defenders have often said the 13-year-old she, brought yeah, the Yeah, she was 13. By the way, if a 13-year-old came up to me with a quaalude, I'd be like, give me that fucking thing. Get it. And I'd throw it in the toilet. I would I legitimately, I would be so terrified, horrified what, by that. Wait, you wouldn't ha- eat the quaalude? I mean, I'd throw it in the toilet and fish it out. Yeah. I'd tell her to go home. And then I'd like in the toilet, you know, just digging it out and then I'd eat it and I'd go to sleep. What? What are you looking at me like that? I, I'm just, I'm just going to take myself. that that small part in the toilet, digging it out, and then pick it out and eat it. And put that at the front of the pile. Just is, that. Is there a term of art for that little, the, the front bump? Uh, cold I, open. I, it was the cold open, but it's also called the Moynihan Humiliation. <laughs> the Moynihan Humiliation <laughs> Act of 2017. No, that's, that's not true. No, Moynihan's, money, Moynihan's funniest, that's brightest, Operation most wonderful moment. Moynihan Freedom. And, and sometimes, yeah. it's, sometimes it's other people as well. Like occasionally other folks get the bump. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't got anything. Uh, Fisher, it sounds like you may perhaps have something. Got a, got a quick one. It's more of a some idiot said this, and it is related to what we've been talking about. Idiots say and write yeah. things. So Oliver Stone at the Busan International Film Festival uh, just today said that it's not easy 
uh, what Harvey Weinstein is going through. And that's probably yeah, true. It's not. And now, now here's the, here's the good part though. The, uh, the noted, you know, fetishist of everyone from Fidel Castro to Hugo Chavez to Vladimir Putin says, I don't believe a man should be condemned by a vigilante system. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> unless, unless they're the leader of that vigilante system. Yeah. So that's like, there, there's, there's more here, but I, that's just, it doesn't get better than that. That's a pretty, my, there was also a Donna Karen, uh, the fashion designer, who uh, defended uh, Harvey Weinstein saying that, like, you know, they, they kind of dress like sluts. He, like, literally said that. I thought that was something that people said um, that was kind of like an old trope that people didn't actually say, but Donna Karen actually said that. Yeah. Something, it, something approximate. It is one of those things, though, where even, like, the Donna Karen thing um, and the football thing that I'm not supposed to mention about, like, routes and stuff, I'm I'm not defending either of those people right now awful there's not even gonna there's not even gonna be there's not even gonna be a a, big champion of the first amendment there's not even gonna be a but yeah it is interesting to me that in most of these most of these contexts no that's not no that's not there's no but it was was an implied but it's not an implied but i'm just saying it's interesting to me that there isn't there isn't generally also a public moment where someone just says could you could you clarify that? Because someone might hear this and think that you are maybe suggesting that, I don't know, women shouldn't be sports journalists. Uh, is that what you're saying? It doesn't really happen. And oftentimes I, I do find it interesting that so many of these controversies are created later on when someone else who wasn't in the room um, who didn't laugh along with the joke that was made by the guy from Game of Thrones who is making a joke about his character ripping tongues out of people's heads and raping beautiful women and him enjoying playing that character. And he makes a joke and there's some portion of the population that is outraged that he made a joke about rape. They don't care that he made a joke about ripping a tongue out of someone's head, but rape, you can't make jokes about. I don't know. There's, uh, the Donna Karen I, thing I, I care. Sense. I don't, I, I, I don't even know what she said. This is the thing. I don't know what she said. I don't, I don't just preemptively I don't much defending care. it. No, I'm not preemptively defending. I'm suggesting that Donna Karen, probably not a fan of people forcing themselves on women. I, I presume that that's true. And if she says, in addition to that, something else, if she has some other broader point that she wants to make about the sexuality of society, she might be wrong. But I'm not sure she is also, in addition to being wrong about the the oversexing of society, if that's what she's talking about. I don't know. I'm speculating here. Um, it doesn't make her a moral monster who thinks that totally fine for Harvey Weinstein to force himself on people. And this is and that's that's all I'm saying, that there are plenty of people who are doing the who are doing the guilt by comment. association thing. But but. Sometimes it's possible the s- skirts are too short. No, oh, it's possible. It comes. No, there I'm not saying that. Boom! <laughs> no, it's not. I, no, it's I'm not. not, not I'm I'm using that metaphorically. No, I don't believe no, that no. that's true. It's no. not a I'm saying it's possible that the skirts are too short. N- not even in Budapest, Hungary, were the skirts too short, no, and they tried, true. man. They fucking tried. They tried. Oh they tried. God, it's I just not, yeah. You might I'm, want. I'm might just. I'm just reaching for. We had a good closer like three minutes ago. Yeah. 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 We're gonna. What we're gonna do right now? <laughs> but we do have a, somebody that said this well, for yeah, next week. I have one, and it happened thirty seconds ago. <laughs> Only because you're not willing to be fair and generous to me. Which reminds me, the fifteenth of October 
believe it's the 15th and not the 16th. It might be the 16th. But the the raid on um, on Harper's Ferry, the anniversary of that is coming up. I somehow or another found myself um, rereading um, a, a book about John Brown. Actually, not not rereading. I purchased it a while ago. But I just started reading it um, like over the weekend and finished it last night because I could not sleep. Uh, Midnight Rising um, is the name of the book by uh, Tony Horowitz. And yeah. um, who did Confederates in the Attic? I think. He did a yeah. lot of other yeah. books yeah. about sort of the, the South and people who are doing Civil War reenactments and things like that. The book is pretty remarkable um, and it is really, really interesting to to watch the way perspectives around John Brown change. Um, so I. I commend it to you, uh, dear listeners, because I just read it and the anniversary is coming up and uh, I felt a little inspired after having read it. So there you go there. Some 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 idiot didn't write that thing. It's actually good. And I liked it. I don't know. I'm exhausted. Let's go home. That's his excuse. Bye. Bye. We, We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse.